Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. Jai Guru. And welcome to today's episode of Autobiography of a Yogi, line by line. We are joined by Fab, Fab 3, Fab 4, hmm. <laughs> Priyank, Mike, Chris and myself, Lauren. And it's great to be here. So let's delve in, shall we? Um, so we're speaking about our introduction today, but before we do, there is a quote that is in the beginning of the book, which we would love to delve into, uh, which says, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe, which is by John 448. Uh, Priyank, would you like yeah. to start us off? So it's funny that we missed that. This is on like the third page of the book. As I'm holding it up for YouTube listeners, it's like opposite the page of Guruji's picture underneath the title of the book. Very small, very easily missable. And that is why we missed it. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of going back. But yeah, Lauren, carry on. Uh, yeah, so it's... It's a great quote, I feel, for the start of the book. Before you even get to to anything else, we are hit with that quote. So something I would like to ask you all is how significant do you feel this is for the book and in turn for your own paths in your spiritual journeys? Um, If anyone has an answer for that. uh, Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I feel like... Um, I, I'm a bit with uh, Priyank here that I actually never saw that. I just read right past it. I saw the title, Autobiography of a Yogi, and totally missed that it was underneath. Um, I think it's significant for the devotee in general, right? Because I feel like there is a bit of uh, expectation often to, if you, if you have a fully realized master in front of you, that you want him to do I don't want to say tricks, but like some uh, miracles or something like that for you, right? And um, I think that's kind of um, a sign of deep devotion is that you don't need that, right? That you say, I um, have, I'm very faithful to my master. He doesn't have to show me any, any miracles. Um, and there's this famous story from the Bible. And I want to talk about this a little bit because I actually... Um, when I went to Israel, I went to that place, um, Capernaum, where where those words were uttered. Um, the, I think the story is that there was like a wealthy nobleman who came to Jesus and his son was dying. And um, he came to see Jesus, um, but he came to him as a last resort because he was desperate. His son was dying. His motivation was not mainly to seek God, but it was just to get this miracle happen. And when Jesus saw him, he said those words, he said, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then the nobleman says, um, sir, come down, ere my child die. And then Jesus says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And of course, then the, the story goes, the son was healed. And in that, in that place in Capernaum, there's now a chapel um, where you can go in this like a pilgrimage spot where people go. Wow. And how was it when you went? How, how was it being there? Um, it was, I did the whole trip was a bit overwhelming because I went from pilgrimage site to pilgrimage site the whole time. Mm. So it was honestly, it was like another one <laughs> of those. But 
um, like I think half an hour later, I was standing with my feet in the River Jordan being baptized, right? So wow. I was, I was like, it was a really cool trip. Um, and it was the, the vibrate, you could feel the vibration of Jesus everywhere. Mm, yeah, I, I can imagine. Priyank? Yeah, I was just reading the second, this is Discourse 20 in the second coming of Christ for this section. Um, and it kind of it kind of says that the significance in this um, was that obviously he was quite, uh, this man was seeking divine aid for his son. But the significance for this chat, for this section was not that uh, Jesus healed him and look at the powers of Jesus that healed him because uh, Guruji describes in in the in the explanation that you know if God showed himself or manifested himself through you know his divine powers so explicitly no one would be required to believe because they would just see you know that divine is right there but this actual this man who was pleading for the the the, the healing he um he was actually not just a you know he wasn't a, a disciple that wasn't very advanced he was advanced so he actually came to him with quite a high stature in terms of his own devotion and things like that and we can see that from when when jesus said to him you can you know go away now your son your son will be healed like the guy didn't like even think anything of it he he, he knew that christ would heal him and there was no like commotion, like kissing, kissing Christ's feet and like, thank you. You know, how will I know questioning? There was nothing. There's no doubt. It was literally of oh, Christ. The master has spoken. His words are manifest. You know, I'll go my way, which is mm. really nice. Uh, it was a unique uh, take, I think, from the explanation that Guruji mm. gave. Yeah. Chris? I, I think, well, that, that thread is a bit of a golden thread, in, in essence, between of the relationship of devotee and, and, and the guru isn't it the the faith and we'll see that in, in the, there you go uh, Priyank showing the uh, guru disciple relationship uh, preparing for it. preparing for my next episode <laughs> yes exactly which is there we'll see it in um in uh, with with uh yeah well uh, even beyond that with uh, Lihiri Mahashaya in in the first chapter so yeah um, we'll see uh the, the powers of healing that can be given uh which is is really really amazing um so it's a, a recurring theme in the path of yoga isn't it the absolute trust and faith in your guru would take you very far uh very long yeah. way yeah and we see it in the book don't we as well you know this book is full of signs. It's full of wonders. And I think the, the quote itself uh, is such a wonderful piece of truth because it encompasses the seeing and the feeling. You know, I Googled the word wonders because I was quite curious as to the definition. And it's describing a feeling. And seeing is also feeling, which I think is quite an interesting concept. Uh, and the fact that it's, it's right there on that front page to say, well, here's all the signs and wonders you need to believe because they're, they're in these pages, um, which is so fantastic to begin the biography. Um, so yes, then we, we go into the introduction, quite a, quite a thick old introduction, but a good one to delve into. Um, it was mostly written by the Self-Realization Fellowship themselves, which I think is quite telling. But also it begins with a quote by Dr. Vinay R. Sen, who was the former ambassador of India 
to the United States. And he had a lovely meeting with Paramahansa Yogananda at one point and on the Self-Realization Fellowships website, there is a really wonderful uh, recounting of his visit uh, to Guru. Priyank, would you mind reading what that said for us, yeah. please? Sure. So from the moment I arrived, I felt as if I had gone back 3000 years to one of the ancient ashrams we read about in our holy scriptures. Here was the great Rishi, a lumen sage, surrounded by his disciples, all clad in the saffron robes of a sannyasi, renunciant. It seemed an island of divine peace and love in a sea buffeted by the tumult of the modern age. Wow. Imagine being there. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, was it, really? Mm -hmm. you think about it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lovely testament, I feel. And, and in that uh, quote that he puts in the introduction, um, as well as the little paragraph underneath from Self-Realization Fellowship, it's really a testimony, I feel, to Paramahansa Yogananda's character and who he was and what he embodied uh, in spirit, which... Um, again, is, is a really nice way to feel us in, to understand who, who this author is and uh, where these words are coming from. So I wondered for, for you three, was there any outstanding part in those two opening paragraphs that really stood out for you about uh, Paramahansa Yogananda or what they wrote? Um, yeah, yeah, that's my question for you. The first um, in in the in the section below it, um, he says, um, or whoever wrote this from Self Realization Fellowship says, countless readers of this autobiography have attested to the presence in its pages of the same light of spiritual authority that radiated from his person. Now, Guruji told us that he said, "When I am gone, the teachings will be the guru," and here mm. they're, they're kind of like uh, emphasizing that. Uh, emphasizing that point and um in in reference to how you know dr binay sen the ambassador um experienced uh, guruji uh, i just wanted to mention in our previous series we talked about him in significant detail in minute uh, 70 mm. if anyone wants to go back um yeah mike <clears throat> yeah so i want to echo that that i i really found it interesting how um dr sen said that Guruji is such a great example of an Indian that goes out there and tells the world about India. And yeah, I mean, you sometimes forget, um, imagine he would be a representative of your country and he's Paramahansa Yogananda and goes out there, pride, one feeling that I would feel. And the other thing is the, how they, all, all of the, there's a lot of, um, newspapers that basically describe how they received the autobiography of a yogi. And when you read that, you see how um, basically brand new all those concepts were for people who read this. Like now, it might be different now, there is a thousand books out about yoga. But back then when people read this, they were like, oh my God, what is this? This is amazing. And I think the fact that every single newspaper and they're from all over the world say the same thing, how this is kind of captivating, inspiring. Um, and also they feel like that 
there's really this feeling that this ancient wisdom it's like somebody translated the bible finally or something like that it's like mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah it's, it is amazing in the context of the time but it didn't get mm. swept under the carpet and, and banished from humanity but then i suppose truth speaks doesn't it and it, it hits that chord in people um yeah chris mm. yeah yeah we we said so many times with Guruji's work that it ages well. So mm. and that's that's probably probably what we're talking about there as well. Um, for all the quotes and for all the people that have you know talked about Yogananda in, in such favorable favorable uh, lights, you know, why would they have chosen this one out of all of them? And to me, if you think about what you want to what impression you want to give at the beginning of a book, if you're reading it as a complete lay person, which I more or less was when I first picked up the book, um, not in, uh, introduced to the uh, to, to the ways of the, the Eastern philosophies, let's say, you've got an ambassador, a, a former ambassador of India to the United States. It's quite a formal recognized position in the West. You know, it's, it's quite involved in the structure of the, the western um uh political system and economic system and everything so I, I don't know i'm just reading this again and thinking it's probably quite clever to have somebody who's recognized in some way by the western system to be able to say hey this person really represents everything that india stands for and then the question is well what does india stand for and here's somebody as well to his credit that he knows what india stands for he really he really <laughs> yes. knows the essence of the, you know, the spiritual wealth that is in India and what Yogananda was doing essentially was bringing that wealth over to the West that's bereft of, 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 that, uh, of that wealth, has the material wealth and we're mixing the both of them to try to create a better world. So it kind of fits really well, you know, as a jigsaw puzzle, as it were, fits really well into that and helps the reader that's maybe seen this for the first time, like have that subconscious link between the two that's, that's what what they're trying to do essentially yeah exactly yeah because as you know a lay a lay person or even if you're not uh, identified as being spiritual or being on the path yet you've got like you say chris you've got that link it's that it's a it's like a bridge between worlds right mm -hmm. uh, which is really great mm -hmm. priyank yeah chris um yeah it's important to note actually what you, what you said about linking linking an important person because to the west an important position because this was at a time where this would have been probably the first ambassador the indian ambassador to the u.s post independence or if not the first one of the first um and him you know referring to and as lauren mentioned like guruji was quite recent you know these um he's talking about ancient rishis right of india which are which which go thousands if not ten thousands of years but this one this rishi this lumen sage is recent and this is the beauty of the um having or reading the self-realization fellowship version of the autobiography of a yogi because um self-realization fellowship has got um a lot of resources and access to access to a lot of um wealth of information that they can make the introduction relevant for today and this is why this is why probably they have they have new editions and new prints because they they alter the introduction um to to cater for that decade or that uh, that century perhaps um because uh, if for example 
um i don't know if uh, if if, a, if, a, if 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 it wins a new award in literature in this century uh maybe i'm prophesizing it <laughs> um <laughs> then they would then add that to the next prince edition uh, of the auto autobiography and that's well, that's they're in a good place to do that um and in terms of you know him representing what india stands for and what people wouldn't know um the next few pages i know we're going to talk about it later is the eternal law of righteousness and it really talks about uh, what india stands for and what it uh, what it is so i thought that was quite important uh, good uh, good thread chris threading of the, <laughs> this section of the podcast we are we are the source um <laughs> just on on uh weavers on divine weavers the weavers yeah <laughs> weavers yeah divine weavers for uh dr binet um he he was the first uh india's first delegation to the un in 1947 uh, but he also served se several other countries including italy yugoslavia japan and mexico um, but interestingly, it, it, uh, it maybe is worth noting here that he served as Director General of the UN's Food and Agriculture mm. uh, Organization. And so he really is uh, noted to really have taken that from a data gathering bu bureaucracy into a major force against world hunger. So somebody who did achieve great things himself. Yeah, yeah. He sort of carries that level of morality, doesn't he? That And compassion and charity that we're all taught to uh do in our own lives so yeah it's really really great um and then the introduction goes on doesn't it oh yeah Priyank before we yeah no it does on go in. on it does go on um and I've got my red marker out for uh <laughs> this is this will be the first of I don't know how many of my favorite quotes in the book so the next uh like paragraph talks but they're quoting lady marshall who said that mm. um you know a short while after you know 50 years after my passing a mess you know my my life will be written about in the west and then this is this is where my red marker comes in because i think this is probably one of the one of the best quotes um certainly that srf produces through the information it is through Ekdeshra says it will aid in establishing the brotherhood of man a unity based on humanity's direct perception of the one father. Wow. I think it's that's I think that is just such a powerful, powerful. I can't wait to talk about that. But that's that's the in obviously that's in the main body of the autobiography, but they they brought it out here mm. because it's so such an important um quote, isn't it? Yeah. Especially and... for today's age and all ages, probably. Yeah. And it changed the lives of millions, didn't it? Because he relayed that message to Paramahansa Yogananda and said, you must write this book, you know, you, you must do your part uh, in, in, in this mission. And lo and behold, he did. And thank goodness, because mm -hmm. if he didn't, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. And I think that says a lot about those that came before us, uh, that we're now able to live our lives as we do now and and be here on this podcast even um so yeah so it it begins um after that with a sort of timeline of of events of a, a history of how this book came to be in fruition which is really interesting i think and again it sets us up for that okay how did this actually come to be in this world it didn't appear out of nowhere you know it wasn't you know uh materialized out of the ether <laughs> it, it took a process um that was 
quite of this world. Um, so in 1931, actually, he began writing the book. And when I say he, I mean Paramahansa Yogananda. And in 1937 to 1945, interestingly, most of the book was written. You know, he had lots of duties to do um, in his own worldly mission. Um, yes, Priyank. Sorry, in that same paragraph, Nayamata um, quotes that um, she the first chapter she read was the Tiger Swami. Mm. And I think was it in the last episode or the previous one, I asked you guys which um, chapter would you most tell someone to read? Um, mm -hmm. Or like someone asked me, um, uh, why should I read it? And I just I thought, which chapter should I tell this person about? And I said, the Tiger Swami. So I'm really pleased that I must be in sync with Diamata. <laughs> Do you know, I was thinking about that because obviously we've discussed it before. When I saw it here, I was like, of course. <laughs> of course it was going to be that one. <laughs> and then in uh, 1935 to 1936, so that was between the years that the book was written, uh, Paramahansa Yagananda actually went to India to visit his guru, didn't he, Sri Bhakshwa. And it was there that he began collating all the, the stories, the documents, the letters. He contacted disciples, he verified the facts. So everything that went into this book was a real labor of truth finding and of love, which really mm -hmm. sets us up for truth. Yes, Chris. Yeah, I, I um, it didn't strike me when I first read this, to be honest, I can't really recall what my impressions were when I first read this part of the book. Um, I think I probably was reading it so quickly I was eager to get into <laughs> some of the more, uh, some, some of the, uh, well, the main chapter really, um, that uh, I can't recall too much. But reading it again, my impressions are probably quite different, having become, you know, much more familiar, let's say, with Yogananda. It strikes me that uh, this is a, a labor of, of love for him as much as anything. And we see him as a, a you know, an avatar um, as a lay person certainly wouldn't, you know, see him that way when reading this book, this is quite normal. You know, as you said, it is really of this world. He's going around collecting the facts and the information and, and, and confirming uh, that he has everything, everything correct for the book. And it's, you know he's he's doing he's doing all the bits that you would imagine somebody would have to um but uh looking back at this i have more admiration for him you know just by reading this he's so grounded and and humble and he puts in the work um and i think there's maybe some fanciful idea in my mind that he might just be able to kind of tap into you know the ether as an avatar and like pull out you know all these facts and figures but no, he's he, he's going about the work and, and doing it. And if we can take any solace in what we have to do in our daily lives, um, that maybe the more mundane things, um, you know, Yogananda is showing, hey, like this this is what I've done um, to to build what of what we think is probably the best books of, of the century, if if not mm. well, if not more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you 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 surely can you know do your work with humility too in this in this world. Yeah, it's a, a lovely lesson. Looking back, yeah. it's not that. I know what I know now. It's, it's quite nice. Mike? I think the the fact that he went back um, to also um, compile the facts probably was also one of the reasons why it was important for him to bring a camera to have the car, mm. to bring Richard Wright, who wrote a lot of things down on the on the trip, right? So 
I I think that was probably planned even before he he was um, going to India. He was like, okay, when I go there, I need to. This is one of the missions um, in India is to kind of tie up all the loose ends and um, get all the material need for the book. Mm-hmm. And it would have been quite an undertaking, un- undertaking, sorry, wouldn't it? Because at the time, it's not as if today you can Google such and such's name or you mm-hmm. can, you know, phone somebody up at that time. Although telephones were invented, they weren't actually widely used in India. I actually had quite a, a big research. I, I just am very curious <laughs> about the world. So I was uh, researching about telephones. So I was thinking practically, actually, how would he have, have done this? Um, <laughs> and it turns out that actually in India at, at that time, telephones weren't really widely used. Um, and so he would have physically had to have found those people through word of mouth, through knowledge of others. And I think, again, it really shows us how much dedication went into this book. You know, even though he was obviously a great yogi and was able to have um, much understanding in this world, he didn't use that. He, he did what any other person would do and physically went to find it which says a lot. Yeah, Chris. Can, can I just say as well, whenever I was rereading this again, it maybe didn't strike me at the time, but there's a lot of terminology in here that if you're a light person, you haven't come across this Eastern philosophy, this whole new world. Um, there's a lot of words in here that you, you would probably have to go and look up if you were really meticulous, which I, to be fair, probably wasn't at the time. It, but it, it felt like I was coming home in some way when I first read this. You know, you're talking about uh, the words uh, yogi, you know, Shri, you know, G for, you know, Paramahansa G. Like, what, what do these words and letters, additional letters mean, like Swami and yoga, mm. uh, yoga, yoga avatar? Um, these are all new words. You know, many people are reading this for the first time. And if they're anything like me, who was, you know, um, didn't have that in their vocabulary really before they were reading this book, um, but they maybe have had in a previous life or something, who knows? It was like a homecoming. So reading this, it was almost like, a, oh, you know, I'm, I'm back. It was almost like some, uh, that kind of a feeling for me when I was wow. reading that for the first time. So going over this again and doing this exercise was, was really sweet, you know, to, to remember like, wow, uh, you know, that it was re- so refreshing to kind of read all these words that, you know, maybe maybe it was an echo of, 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 of a past life or something uh, like mm. that. But, if, if you haven't seen this before at all, there's going to be lots of words in there that you wouldn't understand. Mm. G, <laughs> G, G means gangster, doesn't it, Chris? Whenever you say G. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, Don something, yeah. In Matthew's in terms. Don, Don Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. language is immense, though, isn't it, in the mm. book? I mean, uh. I have to have Google Dictionary up whenever I read this book or any of mm. his writings mm-hmm. because his breadth, of language is incredible um and you sort of think you know for someone who wasn't from you know england or america uh, especially at the time that he was born in amazing really yeah mike the way guruji lived his life i don't think he cut any corners by using some mm. intuition like he put in the labor each and every time he did anything um mm. i heard um one of the brothers said once that Guruji had like a dictionary with him at all times and he would make sure every day that he would find a few words that he doesn't know and repeat them over and over again 
each day and try to use them in sentences. And that way he would gradually expand his vocabulary. And today when we draft a paper or we write a book, we have like, we just go online and we find all those references super fast. But I mean, I'm just gonna give away my age now, but when I did school assignments in high school, I, I sat at the library, right? And then I, I went there and I, <laughs> I, I, I talked to the librarian and said, oh, I'm gonna write a paper about blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, oh, use this book and also this and this and this. And then you sit down with like a pile <laughs> of books. <laughs> good old days, yeah. the good old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you go through the newspaper archive, right? <laughs> yeah. on, on anything. So this was like a, a major undertaking. Mm. You would sit there for hours to find tiny bits of information and then compile them. Mm. And I mean, this was also a reason why he couldn't do it alone. He needed helpers and he needed um, people who help him compile everything. And it's such a masterwork, everything. And he, I, I don't believe he cut any corners. So every single word they were looking up in some book and cross-referenced and yeah, amazing. Mm. It's a real example actually for us all, isn't it? It, it mm. shows that, yeah, we can't cut corners and we have to dedicate ourselves and, and do the work and, and go an extra thousand million miles if we want something to be. And I think especially as this was prophesized by a great master, it, it had, it had to be there, there was no question um but i do often wonder how how sometimes he did it when perhaps the road was rough uh i think you talked about this in in the awake documentary as well you know sometimes you felt like giving up and running away to the, to the himalayan mountains but he never did and i think we can all take that for our own lives um thank god yeah yeah, yeah. literally thank god um that he didn't um, so yeah, the 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 book goes on and sort of gives us a timeline. So I thought I'd we'd run through it so our listeners can understand how this came to be. So after he'd been in India and was with his guru and finding out all these facts, he returned to the USA in 1936. And in 1939 or 1940, um, he concentrated full time on the book. But he had the assistance of. Uh, Taramata, who was his editor, and very fondly, uh, he felt very fondly towards Taramata, and Sridayamata, Anandamata, and Sradhamata. If I'm saying any of those incorrectly, please do uh, correct me. Yes, Priyank. Yes, no, I like your pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> Is there the, the Western pronunciation of Indian names is always good, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, these these are eminent uh, eminent people in the organisation. I mean, we we talked about uh, Dayamata. Um, you know, we we did a whole ded episode dedicated to her in minute fifty three. You know, she was the second president uh, of of SRF, um, and this is you know, Dayamata. And then she says, "My sister here was Minalini Mata, Ananda Mata, Shraddha Mata." Um, these are all obviously really important to self-realization fellowship in the early years. And we did, um, we actually did uh, dedicated whole episodes to them in minute 53, 54 and 67. So if you want to know more about those illustrious lives and the influence they've had, then um, I'd suggest you go there. <laughs> yeah, yep. he, they really did 
labour with him, didn't they, on this on this book? Um, there's a lovely quote actually from Diamata, which I'd love to read, uh, which says, "His divine intent was to share the joy and revelation." encountered in the company of saints and great masters and in one's own personal realization of the divine which is mm -hmm. wow really um yeah Priyank yeah and related to that in the um in the main intro text he she wrote that um like when he used to write um uh, he'd often pause and his gaze would be uplifted and his body would be motionless, wrapped in a samadhi state. And the whole room would be filled with uh, a tremendous, powerful aura of divine love. And can you just imagine being in that in that room? But that kind of um, kind of tells you that firstly, his his divine stature um, and secondly, the work that he's undertaking and putting pen to paper is is like a scripture for, you know, a timeless scripture that's that's being written in front of their very eyes. Mm -hmm. The spiritual upliftment upliftment that must have been felt just even in his presence. But imagine in writing this book, you are in that room, you are helping that process. Just you, mm -hmm. the mind almost can't comprehend. It's just that feeling of like awe and wonderment. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, I think that this point is really the key takeaway for me from the opening the pref the preface of you know that we covered in the last episode um, and in this introduction as well. It's it's not all about Yogananda, and mm. you know it's his it's his face, it's him who you see, and you know he's the author of this book. But as Evans Waltz said uh, at, at the beginning in the preface, that it's uh, a book written by a yogi about yogis and that's the whole premise really of srf it's universal mm. you know they're re all religions you know, this is a universal teaching this is not about you know purely hinduism or not about you know the christianity it's actually about everything the thing that connects everything so yogananda is there as a channel he's, he's the conduit to to do you know to like you said to bring the, you know, to build the bridge but he's so selfless isn't he and it's just such a beautiful thing that right? we talk more about, you know, uh, Sri Yukteswarji in the preface, and, and there it was, like, you know, um, Yogananda, Yogananda wanted it there. It's the, one of the first things he talks about uh, in, in chapter one, which, you know, we'll go into in the next episode. But um, it is such a beautiful thing that the, the takeaway is really, it's a service that he's, yeah. he's, giving, he's doing, you know, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's the main takeaway for me. Such a lovely mm. thing. It's such a selfless book, isn't it? Even though it's, mm -hmm deemed an autobiography it's it's not it's actually a dedication yeah. to all that came before uh which is quite amazing and um yeah he he finished the book didn't he in 1945 which is really not that long ago it, it mm. really hit me so I was like wow it's not even been a hundred years mm. and how much mm. has reached the hearts of so many people around the world uh, but i love i love the quotes in the book where uh Paramahansa Yogananda joyously exclaims this line when he when he's finished writing. Chris, would you mind reading what he said? Yes. Uh, forgive me. The direction is it in? Under All history? done. It mm -hmm. is finished. Oh, cool. 
this book will change the lives of millions. It will be my messenger when I am gone. Is that the bit you're talking about, Laura? That is the bit. That is the bit. Yes. See that, Chris, in tune. <laughs> I think you Got need it. to we to work yeah. on this synchronous synchronicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see it now, if that counts, which obviously it doesn't. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is it is awesome though, isn't it? That uh, he, he clearly knew, as we talked about in an episode before, that he could do more by reaching others through his pen than he could through his spoken word at the time. Because he mm. knew he could perceive, you know, the power of technology and everything, sort of be able to really um, amplify this message to to no end. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I also love that notion of how joyous he was to to say, you know, it's done, you know, and that that feeling he must have felt to be like, now, now's the beginning of of something else, uh, Mike. Also, the, the medium of the book is something interesting. It has been there thousands of years ago, and it will probably still be there in a thousand years. And mm. so you write a book, you put all your wisdom in there, you build an organization that will keep printing it as long as necessary. You don't think forever. in the future it will be like podcast, just 100% podcasts? Yeah, but the <laughs> podcast will be about the book, right? So, <laughs> the book is at its core. It's powering the whole revolution. Um, yeah. and, and that's kind of what books have been doing always. It's so fascinating mm -hmm. that that um, we have all this, this technology changed so much over so such a long time, but books have basically always been there. I think it's that physical element, isn't it? It's that thing inside us all which connects us back to a very long time ago where we we have this physical thing in our hands and there's something for me at least when I read a book I feel like the messages are much uh more able to sink into my consciousness than if I read it via a device and I'm not quite sure what that what that is but it's if there's something in a book you know it's also very tactile isn't it so um but yeah, they, they, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but the, the lengths it took for Tanamata to find a publisher to get this book published. Um, we did talk about it, didn't we? I'm not just Yeah, we did, yes. That. Yeah, we did, and, and how it came to be. Yeah, Mike. I imagine this to be like a, a major um, uh, event of... Um, positivity happening in the world you have to imagine all this this bad karma that tries to keep it from happening so i'm guessing mm. there was probably a lot of little things where they had it didn't work out in the beginning they had to do it again and again to actually get it out there can only imagine i mean of course if you have guruji on your side it will happen definitely <laughs> but pretty pretty sure um in the beginning the world was like no <laughs> Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, she had to live in awful conditions for about a year, didn't she, just to try and get this book into physical fruition, yeah. um, which she eventually did, um, and it was published by the Philosophical Library, wasn't it? Um, Priyank. Yeah, just yeah, she she did Dharamata. I don't know if you if you, I just put a picture of her on the introduction tile of mm. our trailer. Um, there's, she's got such a serene devotional. Um, 
aura, doesn't she? Such a pure, pure looking soul. Um, and Guruji, you know, in, in the intro, he says, like, accepting my Guru Sri Yukteswar, there's no one with whom I've enjoyed more talking um, about Indian Indian philosophy. That Well, that is quite a good uh, testimony, isn't it? That's quite, I love, I love quite that a good account. Work. But um, yeah, her hard work in terms of getting the book published through the philosophical library um, was, was must obviously is we deserve to she deserves a lot of credit but the philosophical library itself is uh also should, you should say deserves some credit for publishing it because um yeah. they've uh they've published some phenomenal books they've published books for 22 Nobel prize winners apparently um, are they still around yeah mm. yep um and uh and then you know publishing this book regardless of what happens to them as an organization now that you know they're down in history as one of the one of the most important organizations for Mm. publishing yeah chris just to linger on what mike said a little bit a little bit more if i can um and what yogananda said that this book changed lives millions the the only reason why as he said it, it could come through because of the karma is because of the karma of the millions as well like you said well with yogananda they're pushing it through yes absolutely at the, the head of the helm there's yogananda you know driving it through but the millions of people like us like you know a small part that we have to play in this that have cried out with our souls to know god and you know to have a guru to you know lead us there in the path that really has to be noted from from my understanding that when the world demands it, then God will send the mess the the, the the gurus. God will send those people to to guide these millions, you know, the the, the um uh, yeah the devotees to him. So that's really that's really what guru uh, our guru Pamansa Yogananda and and the line of gurus were there ready and waiting for us to demand it. Because otherwise, mm. you know, they could be sitting in bliss for, you know, in, in the Himalayan mountains forever, <laughs> couldn't they? You know, or in, in the astral worlds. Um, so Yogananda is saying, you know, change yourself and you, you can change the lives of many. Uh, and it's really with that principle, isn't it? That mm. we, we can all manifest this this uh, divinity in this world together. And we have to yeah. do it, all, all of us, yeah. That's very potent, Chris. I feel like there's not much to add to that because that's, <laughs> that's enough what you've said, uh, you know. But yeah, there was... Chai Guru. Yeah, Chai Guru to that. But there, there was a great spiritual uh, togetherness with all, everyone that came to put this book into the world. They had a real mission and they accomplished it and they still are, which I think is really important. And uh, it's quite telling as to what what can be done when souls come together with a shared mission and a value. Uh, just think if, if one or more persons decided, no, you know, mm. like w- w- would this actually be mm. here today? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite profound that it's, that it's sitting here with us um, and it's sat in the, Mount Washington, the books were delivered, weren't they, in 1946, <laughs> which must have been such a great time when it was uh, delivered to the doorstep. And um, yes, they 
whilst that did happen, uh, there were later revisions and additions as we've, we've talked about before. And uh, they actually added an additional chapter in 1951, which was written by Palmahansi Yogananda. We won't delve into that just yet. Uh, there, is, there is a quote from it uh, at the end of the introduction, but I feel like let's, let's delve into that when we get there uh, in the <laughs> book. Um, is that the one with the large family? Um, I think so. Let's have a look. Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, that's not, that's no, it's not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, okay. We won't do that yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently, it's still on bestseller list now, 60 years later. Mm. It's millions wow. of readers. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think? Timeless. 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 Knowledge is. Yeah. Timeless. And also the impact it has made is not done yet. I feel mm. like their spirituality is still, I don't want to call it niche, but it is still not taken over the world in a way that I would imagine it will at some point. There is mm -hmm. still a lot of people who are seeking and haven't found. And um, so I, I, I think this will continue being on bestseller list for some years or some decades or some centuries to come. Mm, absolutely, yeah. There's a um, there's something on the tip of my brain that I'm trying to remember, but it's, I think it's in this book, um, basically saying that, uh, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda's mission was to deliver each soul back home mm. to, to God. And he, he would not, uh, someone help me out here, but he basically wouldn't stop until, until that mission was, that mission was complete, so. Yeah, that, that poem, uh, that, that um... I'll ply my boat time and time again. Yes. Until yeah. Not one, not till, till every last soul is yeah. reached at home. Yeah. It's like you say, Mike, that the book is not done yet. <laughs> there's, still, <laughs> there's trillions of souls left. Um, but yeah, there's, a, there's also a lovely story in the book, which I just, I found very joyous. It's something that I didn't actually realize was there until I was you know, reading the introduction again for the episode. And I wondered, Mike, if you'd be able to uh, recount the story of uh, the Soviet Union readers for us. Yeah, so, well, Soviet Union readers, I'm not sure if we have any more of those these days. But. <laughs> no, but at the time. <laughs> yeah, at the time, at the time, yeah. So there was this uh, judge, um, uh, his name was V.R. Krishna Iyer if I said his name correctly. And he was in somewhere near St. Petersburg. And he, um, uh, he was uh, at an event and he, he would ask people, I think that's a, that's a common question that I, I oftentimes hear when people try to go into the spiritual context, like what happens after death, right? And then uh, to his surprise, the answer was that people there have read the autobiography of a yogi. And he was surprised because the whole communism doctrine that was prevalent in the Soviet Union was very materialistic and anti-religious, right? Like it was based on the teachings of Karl Marx who said religion is opium for the people, right? So it was, very surprising, but it also shows that you cannot turn the light off completely. There's always going to be sprinkles of light everywhere. And 
something that people in the West often don't understand is that I think Russia and India, they have like a connection on, on many levels. Um, even during the Cold War, I think um, India and Russia were much closer than, for example, India and the United States. And I think there is an admiration among Russian people, even during communism, for Indian spirituality. And for example, also the book on the life of Jesus Christ, The Missing 30 Years, was written by a Russian Nodovich, right? So there is definitely a whole kind of spiritual movement under the rug in in <laughs> <laughs> in in Russia and and yeah and even even um during Soviet days mm. I think it, it also goes to show that there are truth seekers all over the world mm. it doesn't matter where you are what you're from uh there'll, there'll always be that that thing in you that, that is curious to seek more yeah Chris mm. Yeah, in, in this in this story, uh, it is interesting uh, the dynamic because um, the question was you know quite open and it was to a group of professors, and then one professor quietly you know went inside uh, a room and came back with thought about the other yogi, um, and I, I I guess it kind of speaks to like a the 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 underground truth and. I've heard truth has a long arch, uh, and and that is something that the Soviet Union went through. I think under Stalin, but maybe before that, this big period of atheism, I think, right? And and they kind of had have that maybe to this day. But um, there's the autobiography of Yogi, maybe being accepted as they said it is. They they accept it as the authenticity of everything recorded in this book they really just accept everything and that is would you say maybe quite parallel to what was going on at the time so uh no matter how dark times might be there's always that bit of light and flame um as, as you said so it, it is actually really lovely that they chose to include that at the beginning of this book it really shows if you want to try to get a message across to uh you know an audience reading this for the first time like hey it's really powerful stuff because that, I don't know, may have gotten you in some trouble within certain circles at the time, possibly. I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, they, they've chosen a, a right number of the right number of uh, strong messages here in the beginning of the book to try to get this across. Like, hey, there's something really deep and meaningful that you're about to experience. So mm. Get ready. Yeah. There's, there is a lot actually in the introduction, isn't there? And I feel like there's something for everyone. In some way, there might just be a line that stands out or a, or a little story like, like this one that speaks to your heart. Um, and I'm really interested, was there anything for you in the introduction that particularly stood out when you read it and made you go, oh, um, yeah, Mike, what were you gonna say? Um, one particularly high praise is from Professor um, Ashutosh Das, if um, I say the name correctly. And he said that um, basically just those words, he says, the autobiography of a yogi can be regarded as Upanishads of the new age. I mean, this is like the highest praise that you can you can give. I mean, we often refer to the book as scripture in this podcast and this is kind of what he does here in a in a very referential way 
Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Chris. We're, we're obviously reading this book almost, you know, a hundred years or so on. And it uh, really, they talk about that in this, um, in, in this part where this is a significant amount of time in the, in the course of a human lifetime. Um, but really it's a small amount of time in the course of humanity and an even smaller amount of time in the course of, of the world and, and the universe. Um, but for, for me, they, they chose a few good um, quotes and, and stories to put in here. The New Frontier, which is a metaphysical journal that included a quote uh, from that, Dr. Frawley, the director of the American Institute. And um, they, they said essentially that yoga, uh, Yogananda was the father of yoga in the West. Thus, that's really significant because yoga is, I would like to actually, as a, as a thought experiment, go and find what is it uh, uh, on, online? You can see how many times a certain word has been used. And you know, it shows you the track data on that on, on the internet and see when yoga really, you know, was started to be used because that is true. But yoga is in our vocabulary now. And mm. they're saying essentially, hey guys, this is because of Paramahansa Yogananda, the person on the front page of this, this book. You're, you're about to read something that is now fundamental to our life, lives, you know, mindfulness and well-being. Know, yoga but these things are all interconnected and here we have somebody who's who's really at who's the cornerstone of that almost you know in in, in the west um so yeah it, it's they've chosen all the right words uh, uh, all the right quotes for me in this book yeah and very very well placed doesn't it Priyank? mike did you did you find out about that history of the word yoga i said i, I looked I said of course i did. went on the engram viewer google's engram viewer <laughs> and there was um a significant uptick um, from the 20s all the way to the 60s when it went even more exponential. Um, then mm -hmm. it plateaued a bit during the 70s and then since the 90s it went into an exponential growth. Um, yeah, that that's, when, uh, that's when that's when young Priyank came to the West. That's when Priyank came to the West. I mean. There you go. It's, the, <laughs> it's all revealed now. <laughs> I had the word yoga emblazoned on my chest and tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I joke. I kid, of course. Um, but uh, I, I, there's a few of the newspaper quotes that I really like. I'll just read out. There's one which says, there has been nothing before written in English or in any other language like this presentation of yoga. Um, this mm. is in Columbia University Press. And also from the New York Times, or it says Yogananda's book is rather an autobiography of the soul than the body and I thought that was a really profound uh, profound concept <laughs> considering yeah. how many incarnations we may have had to take to actually get to a position where we can imbibe or absorb or even practice some of some of the Guruji's you know um, words uh, he says like even if you even if you just take in one percent of my what i'm saying to you you know you'll you'll make it you know you know he says something along those lines which is quite cool chris yeah yeah i'm kind of having one of those moments where you, you just want to be silent and just just kind of meditate on, on it a little bit you know Ooh. um but just thinking about that's, this that's not uh, that's not uh, suitable for podcasting <laughs> it's not suitable for podcasting yeah 
<laughs> you have to talk. We have um, to put off put yeah. off that meditation instinct. <laughs> Should we just have a, a five five minute silent podcast? Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it is it is something that going back, you know, I I was let's say lost in the desert and just you know thirsty as heck. And when you're reading this, you're just you're salivating at the mouth, let's say, or you know, you're just the hunger that you know you might have as as somebody who you know in my position was was just seeking this with all, all of my heart and soul. Um, reading the intro, I think, I, like I said earlier, I was just trying to read it really quickly because I just knew I, I needed to get to the to, to Yogananda's words, and I just needed to get to it. So they're kind of teasing you really, really, <laughs> really well with all this. You're like. Uh, just get you know I really want to get to it um uh and and really it's very exciting to 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 read everything I think within here because it is very notable uh and it did achieve notoriety from many many uh people well from all different backgrounds um throughout the throughout the past hundred years so uh but I do remember just reading this thinking like I really really want to to uh to get to the, the whole chapter I almost couldn't wait by this point, yeah. by the time I read a few of these uh, quotes. Yeah, I, I I get like that a lot when I read a book. I often really want to skim past the introduction. I have to remind myself that there's there's an introduction for a reason and there's lots in there uh, that needs to, to be read. Um, but just going off what you were saying, Chris, I do feel like this book reaches each person at the right time for their mm. own journey. Um, and I'm always really interested in like, I know we've talked about this, but know when people found the book and, and how, and it's, it's, it's very intriguing. Yeah, Priyank. Yeah. Um, there's also the good section in the notes, in the footnotes, which is something that we're going to talk a lot about in mm. the autobiography because the footnotes are actually, if you take just the footnotes, that's a long, the footnotes alone are long enough to form a book. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some gold yeah. there's some gold in there and we were talking last time about you know the the rumors about uh the the the, the a missing from paramahansa to paramahansa and in the footnotes um it's actually explained here and um i thought uh similar to what to what we were talking about in the past um but i thought it was in, in footnote three um, but I thought it was important that they defined what Hansa means or Paramahansa, mm -hmm. um, because Hans Hans means swan. Um, and you know, in the footnote it talks about you know one who has attained the highest realization of his true divine self and the unity of self with spirit is is what was referred to as swan in you know that swan like. But in um, you know, our experiences with swans um, and in India. And scriptures, swans have a important place, symbol, symbol, symbolically, whatever you say that word, um, because uh, obviously we see them as pure. You know, you look at their unruffled, pristine feathers, you see, com see complete purity. But there's also there's this concept where, like, um, you know, a, a swan may be gracefully gliding along uh, the water, but underneath it's are working tirelessly to get to that uh, mm. that uh, velocity um so that kind of symbolizes how hard we need to work in our lives even though we may be uh, gracefully going along it but we have to work every moment to you know maintain our discipline and think of god and all those beautiful things and there's also a, a mystical element 
that is that swans are able, if you mix milk and water, uh, so goes Indian thought to that, swans are able to just extract the milk from that mix. Um, yeah, which is a quite a cool thought. Um, and you can read about that online, about various experiments and stuff that have been done. Um, but yeah, that's that's the India. But in the symbolic symbolically, that means that um, someone needs to correct how I say that word. So I <laughs> I'm not sure either. Symb which is why I haven't said. Symbolically, symbolically. <laughs> is there not symbolically? <laughs> No, symbolically. So. Okay. Well, you've Symbol made a new word now. <laughs> <laughs> symbolically. Uh, so symbolically, the swan being able to decipher between milk and water is that uh, for us in our lives, we need to, you know, sort see the wood from the trees and be able to decipher the truth from mm. untruth and extract the purest parts of life and make them make them our own. So I think it's uh, really nice that they put this little section in the notes. Um, and we were obviously referring to, we're talking about the spelling of Paramahansa and Sanskrit and stuff before in the previous episode. So this rounds it off quite nicely. I can just imagine a lot of people now running down to the park with pails of milk and water, <laughs> testing out the swans. <laughs> Does it work? Hopefully they use yeah. soy milk and not uh, cow's milk. <laughs> Doesn't work with soy milk, Priyank. <laughs> don't under, don't underestimate the, methods. Don't yeah, underestimate the swan, swan man. <laughs> <laughs> And we're um, we're greeted, aren't we, after the introduction ends with the eternal law of righteousness, which is really interesting because I don't know about you all, but when I first got to this, I was sort of, why is this here? I just sort of wanted to just skim past it and like you, Chris, just, just get in, into the, the book. So it's quite interesting that it's placed here. For anyone who hasn't read the book, it's... Uh, basically an explanation of the flag of the newly independent India uh, in 1947. And it goes on to describe the flag of India itself. And it has that Dharma Chakra wheel of law, which was actually a reproduction um, which appeared on a stone pillar, which was erected in the third century by Emperor Osaka. Ashoka. Ashoka, sorry. Yes, Ashoka, uh, which was yes. BC, so be before Christ, which very interesting and what really hit me I was I was researching uh, about this this man and also what it says here in the text and it seemed to me that he was a real embodiment of morality and of goodness and um, benevolence and charity and all of those all of these qualities that we are really trying to uh, bring forth in our own lives and what also what Paramahansa Yogananda stood for too. Um, so I think having this representation so clearly next to the um, introduction is like, well, this is what India stands for. Um, and it was said that, you know, uh, how do I pronounce it? Priyank, his name? Ash Ashoka. Ashoka. Um, he sort of realized the error of his ways and was horror struck by uh what they had done and, and then went forth to rectify those wrongs which is really interesting um but yeah I, I wondered if if any of you had any thoughts on as to why this is here or what it gave you yeah chris yeah i i had a thought on this that i considered the reader and the reader maybe that 
of somebody in the West and the, and the people in the West tend to be, I wouldn't say ignorant, but a little bit um, uh, coerced into knowing certain histories over, over others. So when I was reading this, I thought, well, this is a nice, you know, glimpse, a, a window into the history of India. You know, that's essentially what I felt this was. And you read it and you think, well, well you know, I, I, I didn't know about this. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, there must be so much more that I maybe don't know. Or um, the, I think the depth of wealth uh, that, his, that uh, India has contributed to the world, whether it be through mathematics, uh, you know, not just spirituality, but so, so many areas, um, that um, I think that this is a nod to that. To say, hey, you know, here's it's not all about uh, maybe what you may have heard in the classrooms because you know India has so much to give to give the world. So, to me, it was maybe that kind of nationalistic idea to say, you know, there, there's been many great people in India, um, and you know, you're going going to learn a lot on this journey. I'd say, um, and it kind of cements India's history in in the Western eyes in some ways. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't considered that before, but I feel like that's really, that's really where, what's happening here, isn't it? It's that opening up mm -hmm. of our perspectives. Yeah, Mike. I think it's also a message within to the Indian um, population to show the wheel of Dharma. I mean, the wheel of Dharma has like significance, I think, in many different ways. Um, and yeah, of course. Ashoka um, might have been one of the most recent um, examples of the Indian Empire, how it's envisioned, right? How this is the ideal, how India sees itself, how it wants to be. And an interesting aspect there is religion, because India today, but also thousands of years ago, was never a homogenous area there were always many different languages there were always many different religions and ashoka was definitely a patron of buddhism but he um also tried to create an environment where other religions were able to live together peacefully and i think that might also be one of the aspects that the modern india should incorporate mm -hmm. Priyank? Yeah, agreed, Mike. Um, yes, it's also the Ashoka is much loved. Um, he's one of the most loved of uh, the Indian emperors of old, of the ancient times. Um, and, you know, we still learn about him in the, in the history classes in, in India. Um, but he also, like, in in this in this section, as we said before, like uh, you know, it started with the doctor or the ambassador, Doctor Sen, talking about, you know, the the history of India and how Guruji stands, you know, parallel at least shoulder to shoulder with all those greats. And here, um, as Chris said, like especially in the nineteen forties or whatever, um, the, you might be like. Um, Guruji would promote India. He did promote India. He, you know, he loved India. And, you know, the, the West are often dismissive, even now dismissive of um of some mm -hmm. some cultures and some countries. Um, and they don't know about the the ancient histories of some of these countries. Um, you know, much 
a lot of emphasis is placed on you know Rome and you know ancient Egypt etc and their conquesting conquering uh, capabilities but it shows here and Ashoka shows in his in his reign the more important aspect which is to be you know a nation that's at peace and doesn't have this thirst for just unlimited expansion um and you know his his reign was his reign was marked by its level of peace and he's denounced war um and which of the if you think about all those civilizations in that time whoever heard of a conqueror that denounced war and embraced peace and and made that a culture of their civilization it's just unheard of and it's so important for for today to 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 think about that as as a concept and as as like a modus operandi of how to run a civilization mm, we have so much to learn from mm. india so much i feel like if we as a as a collective operated from those those standpoints the world would be a much joyous peaceful healthier thriving place uh, but alas we are here and there's more work to be done <laughs> uh, chris yeah, it reminds me of the, the quote that's in the Bible, the blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Mm. And the kind of Western interpretation of that is meek is like weak, you know, or the meek are some feeble kind of aspects. But the actual meaning really is that, you know, the person who keeps the sword sheathed, like, you know, to, who, who is a warrior, essentially, but doesn't choose, chooses not to use or wield that power. And, 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 and um, uh, yeah, uh, would uh, would be somebody who is of this background, or okay, there's a better way to do things. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it's in the Bible there as well. It's such a yeah, words of wisdom. Wow, Mike. A tiny spoiler, but later on in the book, Guruji will describe um, a dialogue between Alexander the Great and Dardanus. Um, an Indian, I would say, maybe saint or renunciant. And in that dialogue, you already see, like, because I, I learned um, history in Austria, in Europe, I guess we, we learn it the same as a lot of people in the West, right? We look at all the wars and whoever won was the good guy because history is written by the, the victors, right? And um, how he basically shows how this is very um, a troubled man, Alexander, who is seeking on the inside, who is not happy, right? Who has the strongest army in the world, but what is he looking for? He's looking for wisdom. He's looking for realization. Mm, yeah, because if we were truly content, we would not go to war, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. Um, so yeah, the, after we've had all of this lovely introduction and uh, law of righteousness, we're then presented with the title page, which is quite exciting. I feel like this is where <laughs> it really begins. You know? like, oh, you, you've read all of that. You're like, okay, now, now, now we're getting to it. Um, and then you turn it and you see a lovely, what seems to be a hand-drawn map of India prior to 1947. And it's quite interesting. Uh, I, I particularly have 
quite a, a fondness for it being there before the text begins. Uh, I feel that it really provides that, again, that reality of this was India at the time. F physically, this is where we are. Um, and I think for, for those geographical lovers among us, if they saw particular uh, like places in the book, you could, I never did, but you could, you could go back and have a look at, okay, well, where was this uh, situated? Mm. Um, I'm quite intrigued, actually. I'm not sure as to who drew this map. Does anyone know? Uh, if you do, let me know. Uh, yeah, Priyank. Yeah, no, I don't know who drew it, actually. Maybe right. it was a popular one. But he's certainly picked a pertinent one because <clears throat> I feel that they probably, he actually, I think, commissioned this drawing of this India map based because everything in, like, a lot of these places that are mentioned in in, in this map are talked about directly in, in the book. So, for example... There's two places, like Daxila is, is a place and Mahinjadaro is a place, but not really a place that's famous for its mm. location in terms of like its city or whatever, but actually because of its history, Mahinjadaro is part of the Indus Valley civilization and Guruji talks about that. And Daxila was one of the ancient universities and, and Guruji talks about that in, in, in the book as well. So um, so like I think this there's like a... For, especially for people like me, um, it, it allows you to reference. For example, if he he came from, he went from Bombay, then he went to Varda to to meet Gandhi. We can see how far away that was in terms of mm -hmm. like the geography of India. And then like he's obviously in Bengal and Calcutta. And if he's going to Puri, how far that away? You know how away how far away is Benares, etc. So it's important, I think, to um, to see uh, geographically some of these places because you know when his when his mother passed away he was actually quite far away from home for example and you can see mm. that um see that in in that yeah and there's a I nice think... little, cool little picture of mount everest as well <laughs> is there oh yes <laughs> oh, that before. oh that's really sweet <laughs> but it's nice to have that visual representation especially because some people are visual learners and that's how they um really mm -hmm. soak in the information so yeah it's great to have that there uh, Chris it's so delicately done with mm. the uh, you know the India print it's got these like swirls around the the, the the A kind of comes around and links with the I which is really beautifully done and then there's these kind of loops around oh, this nice. line between the I and the A nice. it's really really quite quite artistically and tastefully done um, but on, on the note of, of what you're both saying, really, uh, what it is missing, unless I'm blind, is a, uh, sorry, it's uh, like a kilometer or mile um, key of sorts to say, okay, well, this is how much distance it is, because India is huge. So, you know, you're looking at this thinking, well, you know, okay, um, I, I know India is meant to be a big place, but um, it, it is vast. Uh, you know, coming from Northern Ireland, where everything is so small, um, you know, this, <laughs> this is gigantic in comparison, um, and it really uh, might might enforce the the vastness and, and and the history and the depth and wealth of of uh, Indian heritage, because there's what a billion people in India today, um, and it's going to play a massive role on the stage of the of the world, thankfully, um, in the coming century. It's really going to come into its come into its own as well. It's really going to play a significant role. Mm. So yeah, really, really Mike, nice to see this this map. 
I also think we have to see this also in the context of 1945, where not everybody had a map of India at their disposal. And maybe some people at this point saw this for the first time. You know, like now when I read the autobiography of a yogi and they talk about a little place, I have this weird habit. I always just go on Google Maps quickly and just look where it is <laughs> because this is something you can do today, right? And then you then you look at the map and you see, oh yeah, there's the place and there's, um, and, and this is the road. And back then you had no idea about India. You had, uh, first of all, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, those okay. kind of, okay. when you ask Americans, where's uh, Sweden and they point all over the map, right? And, Jamaica. and um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm not saying, um, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but it's just, why would you care? There's a country on the other end of the world. You just don't know anything about it, right? And then Guruji talks about all those little places. And you like, like Priyank said, you go on this map, think, oh, he was here. And he went from here to here, right? And one thing I hadn't even noticed, like Priyank just mentioned it, that Taxila is on this map. I was like, oh my God, I was always wondering where this actually was. Um, it makes sense, like an ancient university in the mountains of, of Kashmir. Um, yeah, and also Guruji want, kept wanting to go to the Himalayas. He, he, he took the train, he went to Hardwar, right? And in Hardwar, they kind of found him and brought him back. So, oh, this, this is where this is, right? And he was ha mm -hmm. basically halfway to, to where he wanted to go. Yeah, Chris. When, when, I, when, when you reflect on what we've talked about, what content has been in the preface and the, and the introduction, it, we really come away with the impression that Yoganandi is an, a true ambassador of this beautiful country. And when you say, uh, Mike, I, I agree with you, maybe at the time, put yourself in the shoes of many, many people, um, why would they care? But actually, to those who are reading this book, they care deeply. And you can see from these touches that you know the SRF and Yoganandi have done, care deeply about, and they love, uh, love India uh, deeply. And so it's actually presenting these things in a very loving, caring way. It's like, hey, we're really, really proud of India. Uh, and it's putting that on the world stage in a, in a, in a caring, loving way. Um, that it, it's, it's awesome. It, it kind of cements the message for me that here's something that's taken the time and uh, you know, it's done in a very, uh, very artistic way. Uh, it, it's, it's just a lovely touch. Um, and it really does bring, bring home that, message of building that bridge between west and the east and the east and the west like here's something we're very familiar with like yogananda is very familiar with and we're presenting it to you you know it's like an introduction it's like li mm. literally <laughs> you're literally, <laughs> literally introducing you're literally introducing india to many people who wouldn't have been exposed to in the west uh, because of yeah. various reasons but yeah it's a very yeah. it's done in a very very caring way and mm. from that so much has followed on hasn't it um, as Priyank's going to share with us uh, some little tidbits. Yeah, like we're pretty much at the end of the intro, actually. Um, so now we can actually, in the next episode, finally begin with the line one, chapter one, line yes. one, paragraph one of the <laughs> Um So we, we have to apologise to our listeners and viewers for such a long episode, but um, we wanted to make sure we covered 
all these pre, you know, preparatory sections of the autobiography, which are quite important. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm sure you'll agree that they're quite important for context building and for you to get the most fruit juice nectar out of the next uh, section of our podcast. Um, interestingly, someone in our introductory episode said, I confess I haven't read the autobiography of a yogi, but they are committed to watching or listening to our podcast. Uh, oh. And then someone someone else asked how, yeah, I know, <laughs> quite nice. Um, uh, someone else asked, um, how do I, um, oh, sorry, give us, do give us homework. So perhaps that's something we can Ooh. work on. Yes, homework. But I certain like essential homework has to be that you have to read. So we're going to, in the in the, <laughs> in the um, section of the autobiography that we're covering for that episode, we're going to make it obvious which section we're covering. So for example, chapter one, we've split into six sections. Um, and we're going to make it obvious which sections of the autobiography we're covering in that episode. Uh, this This could change, so... Uh, let's see how it goes <laughs> but essentially you'll have to at, at the very least read that section of the autobiography that we're about to talk about otherwise uh, you won't get the most out of it I don't think uh, you, you'll you'll come with us on the journey but you won't be with us you'll you'll just be spectators as opposed to with us and you know actually taking something hopefully with you and actually being able to contribute as well because we want we want to hear feedback um so if you don't want to read i know some people don't like to read uh text ben kinsley is this spectacular this wonderful human being who has got an even more wonderful voice who has narrated mm -hmm. The Autobiography of a Yogi for Self-Realization Fellowship, and it is quite possibly the best sounding narration uh, that I've ever heard of any book, any audio book. So I'd highly recommend you re you hear the Ben, if you don't want to read, you hear at least the Ben Kinsley narration of the Autobiography of Yogi, because it's it's fantastic. He, Ben Kinsley, played Gandhi in that famous film in in 1980s I think it was. Um, so you'll you'll know him if you look at his if you look at his face, but his voice is. Uh, very 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 lovely a uh, bit like chris's mm -hmm. um and uh yeah he's got some indian heritage so uh he's able to pronounce words beautifully um unlike yeah. lauren <laughs> <laughs> no no wouldn't say that he's just trying to embarrass me that's all <laughs> i couldn't even yeah. say symbol so yeah we're all we're Can all learners his, looking, his father was in indian right something like that mm. chris and doing a quick search of ben kingsley books that he's narrated uh there are many i'm just doing a quick scroll through through here um on religions and um he he, he must be very uh very closely affiliated with um with this category let's say of um of books because um this is something that he's done time and time and again so i'm sure for him this is something very close to his heart and soul. Yes. Um, yes. A lot of honor to yeah, bring that definitely. to the world himself. Yeah. Definitely. And he um, he starts from the preface. So you won't get to hear all the intro bits. So he starts with the preface and then chapter one. Um, so that's where he starts. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's the structure. So next episode, we'll be going into the autobiography. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well done. So what, yes. what, what part of chapter one are we going to be talking about, Priyanka? So chapter one, part one. So this is, you can prepare. So we'll be going through the first seven paragraphs. So from literally 
my parents and early life is the chapter. Uh, the characteristic features of an Indian culture have been have long been a search for the ultimate verities and the concomitant disciple guru relationship. That's obviously where we'll start. And I've got my little, I went to the London Centre today and I've got a little book that this is by Mrinalini Mata, the Guru Disciple Relationship. So if you want to do even more homework, my friends, read this book mm. first and then also read, <laughs> read that section of the autobiography. But we're going to read the first seven paragraphs and it's going to end at um, all the odd memories of infants are not extremely rare. During travels in numerous lands, I have heard very early recollections from the lips of voracious men and women. So all of those sections, mm -hmm. first one or two pages. Mm -hmm. But we'll they make that reading. clear. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll make that clear in the description of the episode to come. Yeah. Chris? And uh, on the note of doing homework, I think it's it's fair to say, if you are going to follow, follow along and refresh memory, maybe you've read it once or twice or three times plus, you know, many people have. Um, if you're going to read, read along with us um do consider that if you were us if you were sitting here you know to uh, talking as we're talking what would you want to talk about what would you focus on mm -hmm. and if we miss anything if we don't cover whatever is that's on your mind maybe share that with us feel free so that's a, a little bit of homework if you want to make notes of your impressions and takeaways if you think about any links that you would you would um, go to or anything like that as we do just on, on this podcast please do feel free because it, it will add so much color and, and um, we can all share in later episodes if you do spot something that we maybe miss. Mm, absolutely. I love how one person asked about homework and now we're all jumping on the homework <laughs> bandwagon. <laughs> and speaking of homework, <laughs> I'm going to give us some more yeah. homework now for all of our listeners. I was actually going to leave this until we got to it in the end chapter, but uh, mm. a lovely preank reminded me that this might be a lovely end to our episode today so our homework for us and for our listeners is to let these words sink in and perhaps uh, share your insights if you so wish uh, it's from the end part of the introduction and it's taken from the final chapter which was added in 1951 i believe and it says god is love his plan for creation can be rooted only in love. Does not that simple thought, rather than erudite reasonings, offer solace to the human heart? Every saint who has penetrated to the core of reality has testified that a divine universal plan exists and that it is beautiful and full of joy. Take care. Take care.